0: Okay, before we get started, feel free to help yourself to some of the dessert over there. We're celebrating Rich and Laura Lee's 60th wedding anniversary today. So they've been very kind. (laughs) They've been very kind and brought some dessert, so feel free to help yourself. All right, let's go ahead and begin with our hymn. Crown him with many crowns. <laughs> Crown him with many crowns.
1: Oh man.
0: Now my heart your dwelling place. Amen. So this week we're going to pick up where we left off, which I do believe is day five under session three, Hebrews six, thirteen through twenty. So let's go ahead and pick up then at Hebrews 6, starting with, with verse 13, and going to, the, going to verse 20, the end of the chapter.
2: When God made his promise to Abraham,
3: since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. convincingly through the years of the promise and the of purpose he guaranteed it with an oath that is it, so that
2: As a forerunner on our behalf, having become a, become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek.
0: Okay, thank you. So question 15 there, what is the purpose of taking an oath in making a statement? Looking specifically then at verses 13 and 16, what is the purpose of taking an oath?
2: It settles the matter so there's no further
0: argument it settles the matter so that there's no further argument yes it's a promise it's a promise mm-hmm. it's a promise so an oath confirms what is being said and those who take an oath do so putting themselves into the hands of one who is greater than themselves and submit themselves to punishment then if they're speaking falsely. So there's a a claim on truth and you claim that by some higher power or force. So we see this in our court systems. When you take an oath and swear before the Lord that you won't, you won't lie. The implication being that if you do, there's some sort of punishment for you then. and This also brings up the, the second commandment, right? That we shouldn't swear falsely by God's name. So when we take oaths, we are free to swear an oath by God's name. But we should never use God's name. To cover up any sort of falsehood or to swear any falsehood and claim that as truth. So the purpose of an oath then is to settle the matter so that it is certain and sure. Question 16. Verse 17 refers to God's reason for affirming his promise to us also with an oath. What is that reason? What is the reason God uses an oath to affirm his promise to us? It's a process that we trust. It's a promise that we can trust. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain certainty there that when God makes a promise, Mm -hmm. he is a true God. There is no falsehood Mm -hmm. in him. So when he makes a promise, he is sure to keep it.
4: Word.
0: It's the final word. That's it. Amen. When he speaks it, it happens. Amen. So God confirms the promise that He makes with an oath. And then, what is that promise? What what promise has He made?
4: Many
0: descendants. Many descendants. Sure
5: provide a Savior
0: right the Savior the Messiah who would come through through the seed of Abraham through the seed of the woman Question 17 and once again what is it that God promises to us with the strength of his oath? so we just kind of touched on it there but we can look back to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Three, six, nine, and eleven. Would someone read just each of those verses, back to back to back?
2: Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you an should have failed to reach it. Four, one, three. For we have believed. We who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swear by my book, wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. And six. Is, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news fail to enter because. Of the people of God. And 11 is, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience.
0: So then what is the promise that is promised to us by the strength of his oath?
1: Salvation.
0: Salvation. Salvation and rest. <laughs> Belief in the coming Messiah that the Lord will redeem us so there's not any work that we can do to bring about this salvation we trust in the Lord for the saints of the Old Testament they trusted in the coming of the Messiah Mm -hmm. for us we trust that the Lord has delivered us that by his death and resurrection Jesus has saved us and we rest we rest in that knowledge
5: In verse 1 there, when it says, Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed. We should fear our own failing.
0: We should fear our own failing. No, we should just fear, fear and trust in the Lord. Above all things. There is a proper place in which to put our fear, and that is on the Lord and not, not anything else. If we fear the Lord, we will reach it. Question 18 What is the result for us of God's affirming his promise to us with an oath? What is the result? We're looking specifically at
1: 6.19. He gives us reassurance.
0: He gives us reassurance. And how is that described in verse 19?
4: Well, we find hope in Christ, the promised Savior that, that has been given to us.
0: And is that, is that a firm belief that we have? Yes. How firm? Very
4: firm.
0: Very firm. Like, <laughs> like, like an anchor. Like an anchor yes. holding us in place. We're, we're not going to move with that anchor there. We have this promise from the Lord. And that's a great source of comfort, and we can rest in that knowledge. All right, any final questions then? As we wrap up chapter 6.
4: At the end of uh, 19 refers to um, the inner place behind the
0: curtain. Mm-hmm.
4: So that's. What's that all about?
0: What is that all about? The inner place behind the curtain. Is
4: that talking about the Holy of Holies? Yeah.
0: I would say so, yeah.
4: And so it comes out from there, except so all the practicality possible.
0: Well, right, and then, what what happens to that curtain? What has happened to that curtain? It
4: was cut. It was, it
0: was cut, separated. right? And so, what does that mean for us Christians? No
5: Christ's death. Christ's death was cut.
0: Right, right. We don't we don't need the mediation of Levitical priests or a Levitical high priest. We have a mediator who is Christ. We have direct access to God through Christ. And that leads us into our discussion of Melchizedek, who we talked about a few weeks ago, and the, the high priest, the high priestly order of Melchizedek. Yeah, question?
2: Could that be a, a reference also to the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ? We have Later
0: in, the verse, in chapter nine, Chapter nine. <clears throat> so which part it exactly refers to Well, we have access
2: to God directly through that sacrament. We receive him.
0: Sure, right, right. Instead of a temple built On a hill in Jerusalem, we have the temple of Jesus' own body that comes to us directly in the sacrament of the altar. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. Good observation. So we have this guy Melchizedek brought up again here in verse 20, at the end of chapter 6. And verse or chapter 7 of Hebrews then will launch into a greater explanation and you know, fleshing out this idea of Melchizedek and what it means for us. So we're going to go ahead and move on to the next session, session four, and we're going to pick up at Hebrews chapter seven, verses one through ten. So where did we leave off reading? With Leonard, Lynn? Would you pick up then?
5: I would think or- not
0: okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 7 verse 1, you said?
0: Yes, yes, please. This Machel
3: Machesedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the king and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a portion, one tenth of everything, his Also, King of Salem, that is, King of Peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days, or the end of life, like the night, and Son of God, he remains at like this trial. Just
5: think how
3: great he was, even the patriarch Abraham. to collect the tenth of the people, that is, their brothers, even though their brothers
4: are descended from Abraham. Which verse now? Six. 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 But this man who does not have his descent from them, received ties from Abraham, and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superiors. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witness that he liveth.
1: <clears throat> One might even say that he by himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still
3: in the <clears throat> For he was still in the world.
0: Okay. So question one, Jesus high priesthood is compared favorably with the priesthood of an Old Testament figure, Melchizedek. Read about Melchizedek in Genesis 14:18 through 20. Let's go ahead and do that. Genesis 14 eighteen through twenty someone please read those several verses there
3: and came out of of Salem brought out bread and wine he was priest of God most high he blessed him and said Blessed be the one by God most high maker of heaven God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand, And Abram gave him one-tenth of everything.
0: Okay, thank you. So for a little bit of context here, in this chapter of Genesis, Lot has been captured and Abraham arms 300-some of his servants and they go out and do battle against the wicked kings in order to recapture Lot and save him and rescue him. After Abraham is victorious in battle, then we have this king Melchizedek, the king of Jerusalem, and he blesses Abraham and then receives a tithe from Abraham as well. All right, so then under question number one, Considering that nothing is said about Melchizedek in Genesis, either before or after these three verses, list two bits of information from them that you find remarkable or surprising. So we have those three verses there in Genesis 14. This king, Melchizedek, he's all of a sudden on the stage, and then we really don't hear about him ever again in the book of Genesis. What two things that... What can we list off that are just surprising about this account? Is there
4: no beginning or end to him? Is that what it's saying? I, didn't. I listened to this this morning, and I was really confused. They kind of were
0: comparing it to Jesus, that he was like Jesus, no beginning or end. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to get there in a few questions, that, that question of his genealogy and, and where he comes from. That could be one of the things that is surprising, but we don't find that here in these three verses just yet. But we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. He
5: was a king
4: and a priest.
0: He was a king and a priest. Okay. And
4: he's generous.
0: And he's generous, Right. Right. He was a priest. He was a priest of God, which is kind of interesting to think about that there would still have been faithful men of God who would actually preach righteousness. Ever since Adam and Eve, there was a continuous line of godly men who served as priests and would preach of the gospel, the coming Christ, the one who had been promised to Adam and Eve in the garden.
1: It's interesting that those priests, too, aren't in the Jewish lineage, right? It goes back, it's evidence that everybody after Noah believed in the one true God. And some of the lines drifted away into false worship, but there are some that still remain Faithful throughout thousands of years. I mean, this is thousands of years after the flood. Another example would be Jethro from Midian, Mm -hmm. who still worshipped the true God, uh, even though he's not descended from Abraham, who was called by God. So I
0: think that's interesting. Right? Yeah. History nerd.
4: but he worshiped
0: the Jewish God actually but he wasn't Jewish well because you know from from the line of Abraham is how we have the children of Israel but he predates them so he's been faithful even before we have the establishment of the Levitical priesthood for one which becomes important here in a couple of questions, and then later on in, in these verses from Hebrews chapter 7. Could,
3: could we
5: say he was a pre incarnate Christ?
0: That is a very good question. Some would say that he is the pre incarnate Christ, but I don't think that that's the correct position. He prefigures Christ, he is a, he is a, a type of Christ that we can look to in the Old Testament. Some might say that he actually was Jesus himself in the Old Testament. I don't know that that's exactly correct. Pastor, what are your thoughts?
1: I don't think you could say that quite that strongly either. I think the strongest we would want to say for sure is that he prefigures Christ, he's a type of Christ, that he teaches us what Jesus is going to be like. And I think the reason that that's as far as we want to go is because... The author of Hebrews, if he believed, or if the Holy Spirit working through him believed that Melchizedek was Christ, he would say it very clearly in this chapter 7, and he doesn't. So, that's why we would say, he's a type of Christ, but he is not the Christ. What do you think about that, Victor?
0: Sounds sounds good to me. (laughs) So, we have the two things that are surprising then. Uh, The fact that he is a priest of God, apart from the Levitical priesthood, and then also that he receives and accepts tithes from Abraham. That's also important. So, question two. The writer of Hebrews gives us additional information on Melchizedek. What does he say about his name in Hebrews 7, verse 2?
2: The king of righteousness,
0: right? And the king of peace. And the king of Salem, that is, the king of peace. So he's actually the king of the city of what we would now call Jerusalem, which means city of peace. So he is the king of Jerusalem, and he is also a priest. He's a king of righteousness. Which is what, which is literally what Melchizedek means in Hebrew is king of righteousness, and he's also the king of peace, the king of Salem. Two B, what does he say about his title? See also Romans 5, verse 1. Someone read Romans 5, verse 1.
2: Therefore, since we have been justified by faith,
4: we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ.
0: We have what with God? Peace. So the distinction here is, okay, we have his name, Melchizedek, King of Righteousness, and his title. His title being the King of Peace. That's also referenced then in Romans 5, verse 1. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, then letter C. What does he say about his family connections? In verses 3 and 6 of Hebrews verse se- or chapter 7. He is without father or mother or genealogy. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the son of God. He continues a priest forever. Okay, so what does this mean, right? This was, this was Maureen's question. He's, does, an he's, an or- he's an orphan? Well... Not quite, right? Was he formed from the dirt, just like Adam was? So he doesn't have a genealogy? God just kind of, poop, there he was. There's Melchizedek. What does it mean that he, he doesn't have a genealogy? Well, the Jews had
4: a lot of genealogy, but he wasn't a Jew, so maybe he just got lost. In the
0: history. I think, I think that's, that's hitting on it. It's just not recorded for us in Scripture. And I think deliberately so, because now we have this connection from Christ to Melchizedek. Where where does Christ find his beginning? Was he created? No. No, he's eternal. Now he's incarnate, right, but he's also eternal. And I think in this way we have that similarity with Melchizedek. He's just—he's there. He's eternal in that way. He doesn't have a recorded genealogy.
5: So uh, the Holy Spirit, speaking through the writer of Hebrews, surely knew. but he's just not choosing I mean, to—just not choosing to reveal it to us, or so we're not to be concerned ourselves with it. If,
0: if well, point you, it out to us, but, right, right. I mean, there's been some speculation and guessing of who this Melchizedek might have been. Some would say that Melchizedek is his proper name. Some might say it's more of a title. And there's a lot of guess of like, well, who, who might have it been? Some would say it was Noah's son Shem was Melchizedek and held this title. I think Luther said that he was okay with that. If someone wanted to say, oh, Melchizedek was the patriarch Shem. It's like, well, okay. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not too vital that we know exactly who this guy is other than that Christ is linked to him, and that's important theologically, and we're going we're gonna to get there here in a few verses. Yes? What,
2: is, what does the name Melchizedek mean?
0: It means king of righteousness.
2: King of righteousness.
0: Okay, so we we have his family connections and that we don't know what they are. Letter D, consider the information you have noted above. In what ways does Melchizedek put you in mind of Christ? Okay, now we're making this connection between Christ and Melchizedek, who we've said is a prefiguring of Christ that we see in the Old Testament. Let's start drawing some connections here. How is he Melchizedek? He
3: was appointed by God. He was appointed by God,
4: but he wasn't a Jew like Jesus was.
0: Okay. Right. Right. He was not... God selected
4: him and he wasn't
3: a Jew, right?
0: <laughs> Correct. So... Hmm. When God appoints the Levites to be priests, he does it by the law, right? He establishes a law and an order, and this is exactly how it goes, and there's, it, it follows your father, right? And then your sons become priests, and it's for the law's sake that you have this priestly order. With Melchizedek, then, Is there a law? Like, how how is he a priest? Is he a priest of the law? Or is he a priest of the promise, of the gospel? And I would say he's a priest of the gospel, right? The law, in that way, he's not a Levite priest. He's a high priest from the beginning, from the gospel, of the the promise. Okay. Jesus, Melchizedek, had no father and no
3: mother, it says here. Mm-hmm. Jesus at least had a
0: mother. Right. So what that is getting at there is that the genealogy of Melchizedek is not recorded for us. And so in that way, we can think of him as being eternal. In the same way that Christ is eternal in that he is begotten of the Father, but he's not created in that way. Christ is eternal. Now, the incarnate Christ is born of a woman conceived by the Holy Spirit, has his heavenly Father, mm-hmm. God the Father, mm-hmm. first part of the Trinity. Um, that's the connection there. Does that make sense? No. If Melchizedek was eternal,
4: how can we don't keep... The rest of
3: the how come they don't keep? You know, he isn't playing a part if he's eternal.
0: He is e- figuratively eternal in that way, right? If he doesn't have a genealogy that's recorded for us,
1: <clears throat> maybe a way to think about it um, is like the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? <laughs> I know all of you have seen that movie because it's a classic. All right. <laughs> uh, take any Western. They don't have to be that one. At the end of the movie, the good guy who wears the hat always rides off into the sunset. And you don't know any more about him after that. Whether he lives or whether he dies, he leaves town, he rides into the sunset, and that's the end of the And in that sense, that Western directors do that on purpose, because in that sense, his story is open to go on. We have that same idea with Melchizedek, right? We don't know where he came from, and we don't know where he's going. And in that sense, his story potentially goes on forever. He's this weird figure, and we have this weird name, important name. And he interacts with Abraham, we don't know where he came from, we don't know where he's going, and that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to... So
3: how did he get to be a king?
1: See, that's the thing, Bart. We don't know.
3: Oh, okay.
1: Um, There's no... How do you... What's the reason that I'm king of Nebraska?
0: (laughs) Well, you must have just said it yourself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The reason I'm I'm king of Nebraska is because my dad was king before me. Right? Wrong. (laughs) that's the way it works. Charles is king of England because his mom was queen of England. So what's the reason Melchizedek is king? Because God
5: appointed
1: him? Well you can say it because his dad was king, but what what, don't we know? Don't know. Does that make sense?
5: It's a mystery. It's a mystery. mystery, What's his purpose? Why is he put in the story? Dale's asking.
0: Why? Why is he recorded for us in Genesis 14?
5: And again here in Hebrews, yeah.
0: And then here in Hebrews. Well, we're making these connections to Christ. How else is Melchizedek like Christ? Think of his name,
5: righteous.
0: Righteous. righteous. The 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 king of righteousness, who who is our king of righteousness, Jesus. Jesus. Who is the king of peace, or prince of peace, if you will, Jesus. There's another connection.
3: Well, didn't you say the last time we talked about him that he was a
0: precursor to Christ? He pre prefigures. Kind of, was it a good person. And did the right thing: right? Well, yes, the king of righteousness. Yeah, I mean, he served the Lord and he preached righteousness. And so then you have to ask yourself, what was his message, right? If he's the priest of righteousness and he's, and he's, he's the king of righteousness and he's preaching righteousness, what actually is he telling people? What's the gospel at this point? What's the good news?
4: Jesus is going to save us. He's our savior. Right. And he's going to die for us. Soon.
0: The Lord is sending so His happen. Messiah. Yeah. And is that faith then counted to them as righteousness? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So Jesus is the King from heaven who comes in peace and in righteousness. And there's a way we can look at Jesus in that he doesn't have a genealogy in that Jesus wasn't created. He's eternal, like the Father. He's begotten of the Father, but he's eternal. What, what does Melchizedek do for Abraham? Abraham. No, Abraham, Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth. What does Melchizedek do? He
4: blesses him.
0: He blesses him. What does Christ do for us? He blesses, he blesses us. So we have all of these connections here. Is it coming together? Guess not. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Challenge question. Is this the first challenge question we've seen? (laughs) All right, this is challenging, so put on your thinking caps. From Genesis 14 18 to 20, it is clear that Melchizedek was a real historical person, a man who was born and eventually died. What use does the author of Hebrews make of the unusual omission of Melchizedek's genealogy to point out a likeness between him and Christ?
4: Without father, without mother.
0: Without father, without mother, right?
4: Without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually.
0: So, do we know anything about Melchizedek's predecessors? Not really. Do we know anything about who? came after Melchizedek and sat on the throne of Jerusalem. Not really.
4: All we know is that he
1: existed.
0: Right. All we know is that he just existed. He's there. And he's just there. He's eternal in that way. And I think that's what the author of Hebrews is getting at. Is There is lowly. this... Sorry? Lowly. Lowly.
4: L-O-W-L-Y. Both of them from a lowly beginning...
0: Sure, right, just all of a sudden, they're just, they're on the stage, and they're doing important things. So, I mean, it says here, some Bible students believe that Melchizedek was actually Christ, who appeared to Abraham before his incarnation, Um, but the text itself does not really support that position, Melchizedek merely prefigures Christ. And we can look at Melchizedek in that way, then, that we would look to Christ. Christ being our King of righteousness, our King of peace, one who blesses us, one who preaches righteousness, and that we believe in. Also, hmm, Melchizedek is a priest, right? He's a high, it says a high priest there in chapter 6, verse 20. In our discussion about high priests, especially with the Levites, what does the high priest do?
3: He goes
5: into the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Right. Offers sacrifices to God on
0: our behalf. On our behalf, right. yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's the sacrifice which covers the sins, right? He stands in between both God and man. He represents man to God, and then on the flip side, God to man. So, in that way, that's the role that Melchizedek had. Is that also the role that Jesus has now? Yes. Yes, right. He is our advocate with the Father, He is our intercessor. So there's another Christ connection. All right, did we answer the challenge question? I think the challenge question there is getting at this eternal aspect of Melchizedek because we don't know where he came from, and we don't know where he went because he rode off into the sunset, as Pastor said. We see that, that likeness between him and Christ. It's said
4: that-
0: Right, because he would have just been a man, Melchizedek. He disappeared. He just kind of
3: appeared in the beginning, so maybe he really never died.
0: I think he died eventually.
3: You think he, he was human enough to. He was, he was a
0: human. He was a human, he was a human, a human and he Christ. died.
3: But yet we're still comparing him to Christ.
0: Mm hmm. It's just that in the passages where he appears we don't know any more about him he's there he blesses Abraham he receives a tithe and he doesn't get brought up again until Psalm 110 verse 4 and then again in Hebrews but doesn't God take some people to heaven like Elijah like Elijah sure so maybe he went and Enoch and didn't write it down. Well, it's not recorded for us, so. <laughs> maybe he got in a chariot. Possibly, but it's not recorded for <laughs> us in scripture, so. Makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Challenge question. Were there any other questions then? It says
4: that he resembles the Son of God. Mm-hmm. It's not saying any more about his spirit or. Coming and going, just his actions resemble him.
0: right. I think it's just hard to understand what when you talk about a type of Christ, and there are many of them
5: in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. But I think it's hard to understand what you mean by a type of Christ. Okay. So I understood prefiguring to mean some of the attributes of Christ, but not, he's not exactly Christ. In other words, Moses wasn't Christ. No, Jesus wasn't Christ, but they had certain characteristics, attributes. Yeah, so
0: let's, let's look at some other types then in the Old Testament. Not necessarily that relate to Jesus, but that relate to other things. So we have the flood recorded in Genesis chapter 6, right? We have the waters coming in and destroying wickedness and evil in the world. And Noah and his family on the ark are preserved by God and saved through those waters, then on the ark. St. Peter, in his first epistle, says that this is a type of baptism. We look at the flood. And we see God using water to wipe out wickedness and evil and preserve and bring salvation to Noah and his family, the righteous. So, baptism, it's the same. Our Lord washes us with water, cleans us from all of our sin, and brings us to everlasting life through those waters. So, the flood is a type of baptism. It's not literally a baptism, But it's a type. We see resemblances. We see God is teaching us something about baptism through the flood. Same with the crossing of the Red Sea. We have God using water to kill Pharaoh's army, but also deliver the children of Israel. So the children of Israel go down into the sea, into the Red Sea on dry land, and come out the other side on their way to the promised land, out of sin and death and slavery in Egypt and into eternal life through these waters, which also destroy the wicked Pharaoh's army. So in that way, the Exodus is a type of baptism. It's not literally a baptism, but it's recorded for us in Scripture that, you know, You were baptized through the Red Sea into Moses, is how the scriptures speak of it. So it's a type of baptism. Is that making more sense, this whole idea of type? And how things aren't literally that, but they point us. The flood and the exodus point us to baptism. Melchizedek points us to Christ. And that's what the author of the Hebrews is trying to draw out from an obscure figure in scriptures that we know very little about. But he's drawing on that, that Melchizedek is a righteous priest who brings peace and preaches righteousness and blesses. Okay. Okay. Are we okay to move ahead to challenge question number four? Back-to-back challenge questions. One of Abram, or Abraham's descendants, a great-grandson, was Levi, who in turn was the ancestor of Moses and Aaron and the Old Testament priests. How does the writer show that Melchizedek was a priest superior to the Israelite priesthood In regard to the blessing. So we have two priesthoods presented before us. We have this priesthood of Melchizedek, because he's a high priest, that's what the Bible says. Then we have the Levites, and you know, the the sons of Aaron, who are the priesthood for the children of Israel. How is Melchizedek's priesthood superior to that of the Levites? And there's a great big long list that we can work through.
3: Well, the Levites, didn't they have to stay in the live with the priests for, I don't know how long, to become a Levite? To learn, and the keys of that apparently just was.
0: Right, and we touched on this a little bit before. The Levites are priests by the law. I mean, there's rules yeah. and regulations that are set up. And, and they can only be that priest through who their ancestors were. Okay. Melchizedek is there. He is a priest by the gospel. Okay. He, he preaches righteousness and peace and faith in the coming Christ. So that's a, good, that's a good observation. And in that way, Melchizedek's priesthood is superior to the Levites. Here's another one. Which priesthood comes first in terms of chronology on, on a timeline. And he Melchizedek's, right? And, then, he blesses Abraham. and he blesses Abraham.
5: And that's what it says in the 7, right? It, beyond dispute, that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Mm-hmm. So that would mean that all of Abraham's descendants were inferior to Oh, geez, a deck if, you know, if the Levites' great-great-great-grandfather was blessed by
0: him. Right. I mean, and it even says there in verse 10 that Levi, if you think about him, his, his ancestor was blessed by, by Melchizedek. Yeah. And his ancestor paid tithe to Melchizedek in that way Levi is also inferior it's as if he's paid the tithe it's as if he's received the blessing as well so Melchizedek's priestly order comes before the Levites Melchizedek's priestly order blesses Abraham and the Levites and also receives tithes from Abraham and the Levites. So, in that way, it's superior. So, question A How does the writer show that Melchizedek was a priest superior to the Israelite priesthood in regard to the blessings specifically? Melchizedek, right? We said was a priest of the gospel and not the law. Whose sacrifice is better? What What are the Levites sacrificing? Animals. This priestly order of Melchizedek. Who is the sacrifice? Jesus, Jesus himself. Which sacrifice is better? Jesus. Jesus, It's the once-for-all sacrifice. I think we've touched on before in this class. In terms of being a high priest, the Levites have a high priest within that priestly order. Melchizedek is the high priest. And if Christ... If Melchizedek points us to Christ, who would we rather come between us and God, the high priest of the Levites or Christ himself? Christ himself. Let's go ahead and look up 1 John chapter 2, I do believe. 1 John 2, verses 1 through 2. If someone would read those verses. And
4: the third day, there was a marriage.
0: In- oh, first, first John?
4: Yeah?
0: First John.
4: Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I went to 2. That's
0: okay. <laughs> in
4: the beginning was the Word, and the Word was
0: with God. 1 no, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. First John.
5: First John. Oh. My little children.
0: Yes, go for it.
5: My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous.
0: Right. We have an advocate with the Father. He is the high priest who goes between us and the Father, Jesus Christ himself the righteous. And then let's also look at Romans chapter 8, verse 34. And when you get it, just go ahead and read it, please. Romans chapter 8, verse 34.
4: Who is he that he gives? Christ Jesus, he died. One of that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God
5: and is also interceding for
0: us. So what is Christ doing for us? Inter- interceding for us. He is our advocate with the Father. So in this way. Melchizedek's priesthood is superior to that of the Levites. It predates the Levitical priesthood. Melchizedek's is eternal. We don't really see its beginning or its end recorded. Same with Christ's. It's not of the law, it's of the promise. Also, Abraham tithes to Melchizedek, not the other way around. The sacrifice is Christ himself in the order of Melchizedek. And also, Christ is a better intercessor for us, better than any high priest of the Levites. All right, challenge question four, letter B. How was he superior in regard to the giving of a tenth or a tithe? I think we've already touched on this, but we can touch on it again. What does it say specifically for us in Hebrews 7, verse 8? No,
1: 7.
0: 7 and 8. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. So if you're giving a tithe, that is the superior thing. You are the inferior then. This is what we see. All right, any final questions wrapping up? We're going to have to pick up here next time. Any final questions? Hebrews 7, 1 through 10. And this figure, Melchizedek. Yes, Leonard.
5: So is it, is it wrong to assume a reason that since Melchizedek doesn't have any parents that we born without original sin?
0: I I don't know that that we can say that. The only one who would have been free of that is Christ himself. So Melchizedek, though we don't know who his parents were, or who his children were, for certain anyway, was just, was a man. But he was a righteous king and a king of peace. And he blessed Abraham. And he points us then forward to Christ who comes to us as our king of righteousness as our king of peace and who blesses us.
5: So whatever the pastor said before about the offers, what they owe, if they knew something they would have told us. Mm-hmm. So like in this case he doesn't say no Jesus had no parents he just says we
0: don't know Right, they just, they weren't recorded for us in the scriptures.
3: And then, when we, I mean, I, I know that through the years we've always stressed that, like for instance, the Catholics prayed through Mary, through Mary, and we say we don't have to go through
0: Correct. You know, we can go directly to God. Yes. So, but we're being, it's being interceded by Christ, so, but Christ is an arm of God, right? C- correct. We, we pray to God the Father. We pray to Jesus. We pray to God. Yes. And we can go directly to God the Father. Absolutely. We do every time we pray the Lord's Prayer,
3: don't we? Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: And
0: so
3: it's then it's
1: why, in why do we need Jesus
3: to intercept then? Uh, We're gonna
1: get into this a little bit more as we read more of the Hebrews. Christ is acting as the high priest in this way. We even had it a little bit to the, the end of the last session. The high priest's job was to go into the Holy of Holies and pour blood onto the Ark of the Covenant between where God dwells, between the wings and where the law is. The high priest pours blood in between those two things so that there's blood covering all the sins over the law. Christ is our intercessor in this way. He goes into the Holy of Holies, but not just the one built by human hands, but in before God the Father, and he pours blood between all of our sin and God. And it's not animal blood, it's his blood, and that way it's
3: Okay, I, I
1: think i okay, yeah. Yep, no, that's great. Okay. Sorry for stepping on your toes.
0: <laughs> Should we go ahead and close with the Lord's Prayer then? Our Father, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in
3: heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The light is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever.